0: But for three to $500, how many millions did you lose in original, creative, imaginative content from a woman who is known to be the fucking baller of the town? Are you crazy?
1: One size fits all seemed like a
0: good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. Hi, I'm Lainey. I am the editor of LaineyGossip.com, a talk show host in Canada, and an entertainment reporter. And my big dilemma, because that's where we are now in 2020, is should I get an instant pot?
1: I'm Duana Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. And the easiest way to get me excited about something is not to ask me if I'm excited about it. I like to be surprised. On this episode, we discuss Shonda Rhimes. That story about Disneyland and why it was the straw that broke the camel's back, plus how she's still giving us new ways to live at work even now. And then Borat.
0: I think, while well, I have complicated feelings about Borat. This art form and the sacrifice required to get to his greater goal,
1: whatever that is. What does it take Sasha Baron Cohen to be and live that guy? And is it something that we should be applauding or turning away from? This is Show Your Work. I am wearing a turtleneck for the first time this year. That is my marker of winter.
0: Well, I broke that seal five days ago, but excuse me, you have an Instant Pot? No, I don't at all, but I'm surprised that you don't. Oh, I thought that you had one, and that's why I was like, oh. Anyway, I've been reading up on whether or not to get it, and what scares me is that everything, every recipe that I have read that involves an Instapot involves some sort of step where you have to release the air and that's it. I'm out. I'm like, (laughs) I don't need a science project. Cooking is already like the whole thing, a science project. What is this having to release the air, Duanna? I don't even know. First of all, I only learned maybe three weeks ago that an Instant Pot and a Crock-Pot are two different things and that some Crock-Pots can Instant Pot at the same. Maybe, I don't know. Can an Instant Pot and a Crock-Pot do at the same time? Can you be a two-in-one?
1: I, I don't think like the whole point of a crock pot is long. The whole point of an instant pot is it's instant, right? It can do what a crock pot does, but like in a much shorter amount of time. Um, I, and, and more stuff, right? Like you can boil eggs in it. You can do a million things. Um, I will tell you this, and this is not like a cute, cool thing to say. This is actually true. Um, I feel like instant pots came on the scene when I still had like a baby And that thing that you talk about releasing the air to me, I was like, oh, so you have to burp it. And the idea of burping like an appliance when I was burping a human is what made me sign off forever. And the thing here's the thing, like (laughs) I love like you guys know that I love when people send us mail, but sometimes you hit on like a weird um, like zone of, of, you don't know what people are going to respond to. And I fucking know that the Instapot crazies are going to come at us like mad. They're going to be like, no, you just have to do it like this. And I made the most delicious chicken lasagna and I blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't know. If you have Instant Pot emails, please send them only to Lainey. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't need kitchen guilt, please. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten it.
0: It's just that that's where, like, that is my self-care as I've talked about. Cooking has been my self-care. We are in month, what, fucking eight of this fuck You shit? have to stop counting. Okay. You've got to stop counting. Whatever. We are still in this fucking fuck shit. The only thing that I can do to alleviate the stress for myself is cook. I cook so much. I bought a Fucking donut pan and made donuts lo- like the other week. Now I'm. Yeah, like- I saw that and none of them made
1: their way over here. I was not impressed with that. So, <laughs> well, this week I baked cookies. That's why.
0: This is what I mean. This week I baked cookies. When, you know how I used to, during my free time, browse the internet. I used to read intellectual articles. I used to educate myself. These days, my free time online is looking up new recipes. What should I make next? I don't repeat any recipe within three weeks. That is who I am now. So all these new recipes I'm looking up that I'm interested in involve an Instapot. And I'm like, oh, shit, do I need a fucking Instapot? Hey, can you take a picture of me? I kind of like this vibe.
1: No, I'm sorry. I'm not really listening to you because I I had to pause and screenshot. I already did. You stepped on my joke. Yes, okay. I keep all of this in because I want everybody to know that I tuned out about the food talk because she was pulling at her hair with like anxiety and then halfway through <laughs> pulling on her hair with anxiety got like kind of into the image of herself. She yeah. looks like 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 the image of what you would think like uh, Matilda or Pippi Longstocking would look like I on the front of a children's Coachella. book. Yeah, no, it didn't. Uh, The Coachella is fine when you're not yanking on your hair out of anxiety. Anyhow, we will throw that picture up. I I, listen, buy yourself all the treats in the kitchen if you like it. Like, I here's what I don't understand. If you love the cooking and it is your self-care and so forth, um, then why would you not buy it? Just buy it. Have it. Have a thing. I'm afraid to use it. I
0: don't know what this burping a baby situation is with the the, the Instapot. I'm a, every time I read that in the recipe, I'm like, I'm not fucking doing that. I'm going to get it wrong. It's enough to like work with yeast and instant yeast and having like that kind of anxiety. I, I imagine that me waiting for it to burp or burping it is going to give me the same kind of anxiety. And remember,
1: this is about self-care. I don't need it. Don't need it. I, I I literally have nothing to add to this conversation. I'm 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 out. I, I God be with you. Bring me some food. Don't
0: be surprised if at the end of COVID I open up a restaurant.
1: That's all I'm saying. I yeah, I mean, maybe the time is now, man. Like maybe the time to have a side hustle is is now. You cook up some shit, you drive it around to some some people. Yep. Um, door drop. Yeah, we'll see. Did you see that article about uh about the woman who started a, a pasta, a fresh pasta shop during COVID and she makes like these beautiful, intricate little pastas like fresh pasta, but beyond sort of the normal shapes, they look like presents, they look like medallions and it looks deeply meditative.
0: What? Is it? In yeah, Canada? You,
1: I'll send it to you. Yeah. Okay. And I guess we'll post it since we're talking about this to everyone. Yes.
0: We should support this woman's work. It's more valuable than my fucking kitchen work. Anyway, but you'll get your donuts next week. Shall Appreciate
1: we? It. We are. We're here. We're doing it. <laughs> um, I mean, the stuff that's going on this week, are you still a bit surprised that things are rolling out this way? Like Early on, when everything kind of shut down, we had a pause of like, oh, there aren't actually entertainment stories so much. But I have to say that while it's not so much casting news or, you know, I don't know, uh, this person had a tantrum on set, there's a lot more like rich stuff coming out that I'm like, there is some juice that people have been waiting to unveil. And I like that it happens now. Like this Shonda Rhimes story is oh yeah I was waiting. I I this is good juice.
0: All right. So it's Shonda Rhimes, cover of the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. Um, everybody's talking about it last week. There's so much work in this, as I said on the website. I address the whole, and we'll talk about it uh here too, but I address the whole Disneyland Pass thing. But there's so much work in this profile that if you haven't read it yet, you have to read it please i mean i don't like to encourage this but hit pause read the article and then come back
1: yeah there is so much uh welcome back if you did pause and read the whole thing but what's interesting and the way the article is framed is that actually the the disney story which has kind of been the top line headline as you pointed out yeah is kind of indicative of the greater thesis in the article, didn't you find?
0: Yes, for sure. It's
1: always been an argument on her behalf of what she deserves. Well, yes and no, right? Because, I mean, where do we begin here? Uh, If we put aside the Disney thing for a second, because it is juicy and I do want to dig into it, What was, this is how we usually ask each other, what was the thing you loved most in this piece or that jumped out at you most?
0: Oh, for me, it was when she was talking about Netflix culture and she had to get used to it. I, that part made me laugh and I love that so much.
1: Right. She complained about the fact that they require a full season of scripts before they give uh, any notes or a, a season order kind of thing, which is Netflix standard, but not that standard. And that she hates giant meetings and they were like, tough shit.
0: <laughs> That's right. She hates like meetings where dozens of people sit in on whatever, a creative call, and she's like, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't want to do this. Um, yeah. And like, there's two things. People always say that Netflix doesn't give as many notes or at least isn't as interfering as, you know, conventional networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC but they do, yeah, you have to give the whole arc of the show or at least show them where you're going with everything before they're like, yeah, yeah, we're on board with this. And then they won't, like, give you the small notes on the minutia. Like, we don't like this person's hair, and why does she do this as you shoot episode to episode or you write dialogue by episode? Um, but they do want to see the whole,
1: like, the unfolding of everything all at once, yeah? Yeah. Right, and one of the reasons for that is that um, one of her complaints was, "Oh, that doesn't leave any room for actors' performances." Mm -hmm. So this is a thing that writers talk a lot about. That especially more in the old days, you have uh, you know something going on, and then in episode three or four or whatever, when you're watching the dailies, literally the daily footage that's coming back, you see a spark or chemistry or something between uh, the two performers that you then can write to. But here's what's interesting. Uh, I don't know if there is an episode order number for Bridgerton. Uh, I'm not sure how many episodes we're getting, but even that philosophy on Shonda's part, like let's just blanket statement. Shonda Rhimes is a fucking genius and nobody can argue with that. Like there's a reason that we are talking about her in these vaunted terms. She knows what the fuck people like, but she has had these long seasons, of 22 episodes of Grey's Anatomy over and over and over to implement that stuff or 13 episodes of Scandal or whatever that you just don't have the same room to do in eight episodes you can't get distracted in eight episodes and then course correct you have to tell a much more clear story from beginning to end it's not that i don't think Shonda Rhimes is eminently capable of that but i can see where um that is something that you do have to adjust to. It's a different kind of writing. Yeah. So that was my favorite part. Well, What about yours? My favorite part uh, was that uh, there was an award ceremony in 2018. I'll mm-hmm. scroll to find the exact name of it. And she kind of, uh, you know, has been pushed and gulping and all the rest of it. And finally says, uh, I- I'm just going to say it. I I am the highest paid showrunner in television, um, which sounds great, right? Um, that she did this, it was the L woman in Hollywood event, which I think we've talked about this before, uh, because it was such a, an inspiring speech and she was the luminary. Um, and so she, you know, she said, I am the highest paid showrunner in television. But what is most interesting to me is that she was frantically calling her lawyer going, is this true? this is how it reads. Is it true? She asked for the umpteenth time. And he was like, yes, Shonda, I don't know why you're asking me this again. And I was like, but are we really sure? And Are you sure? And he was like, Shonda, stop, just stop. So that to me is my favorite part because the reason that Shonda rhymes is as famous as she is beyond being a fucking phenomenal and prolific showrunner. She is living her imposter syndrome right out loud, right in front of all of us. And I I think people can relate to that in a way that, you know, we don't want to hear maybe from actors or that doesn't feel sincere in the same way. Shonda Rhimes is a business fucking mogul, but she's not seducing 10 people left, right, and center. She's not power snapping, uh, her way through meetings in a way that we see. And so I feel as though her confessions of this is when I felt inadequate. This is when I didn't know if I was allowed to say this or that thing feel that much more authentic.
0: And yeah. And in that story, the, in the lead up to that, Ryan Murphy was in the audience Ryan Murphy signed his Netflix deal after Shonda did and the reported fees like she was 150 he was 300 he in the headlines at least kind of ecl- like eclipsed her in in the actual stated fees, but you know, what people weren't reporting was that she was getting back in on all that, which would amount to the fact that she is going to be, or is already the highest paid showrunner in the business. And so for her, she was like fact checking herself, number one, but having him in the audience, when he was getting the bulk of all that coverage and she was just a footnote to that story, you know, when like all these deals were happening with Netflix and they were signing her and they were signing him and other people. Um, She was, you know, she was in this moment where she was like, I'm at this event and I'm so uncomfortable taking credit. And it's not about bragging. It's about stating fact. Fact, I am the highest paid showrunner in the business.
1: Right. Um, And then, but that's kind of what I mean, the, to say that baller thing in front of Ryan Murphy. And by the way, I just need to clarify that the, that 150 versus 300 that you're talking about, that's million, 300 million, <laughs> um, 150 million. But that even after you say such a baller thing like that, that you then like go and curl up like any of us after a cocktail party being like, did I say the wrong thing? What is it weird? I'm so scared. Um, and I love that because later in the article, it says, you know, those who've worked with rhymes or watch her closely say her assuredness can be as inspiring as it is jarring as you rarely see women speak so bluntly about their own value. And so I think the reason that that's my favorite thing is you can be both. I feel as though there's this idea that you can't be a baller or you can't be tough about what you want or your negotiations until you can do it without your hands shaking or without privately like sweating in the bathroom before you go in to talk like tough talk. And that's not the case, first of all. And I don't think anybody is that you can be both absolutely sure and balls out and you can be insecure about Mm -hmm. what you just said. And is it going to be okay? And in fact, I think you probably have to be. I think if you walk out of a meeting like that saying, you know, I'm worth 300 million. Fuck you if you don't see it. If you don't immediately go weak in the knees and like need seven scotches, there might be some sociopath about you. So like that's what I value most about this story is the idea that it just makes it a more real picture. It's not that you suddenly grow a, like a pair of brass balls or ovaries or whatever, and you never feel fear or nervousness or whatever. That's what I like the most. So with that said, back to the Disneyland pass. Uh Uh-huh. What's so interesting about this story is I feel like if it had been anything other than Disneyland, there wouldn't have been so much like surprise backlash. So for... if for the uninitiated, if you didn't read this story, uh, here's the broad strokes. Part of her deal at ABC involved like season's passes to Disney, right? For her and her family, and she got one for her nanny as well because the nanny's the one taking the kids most of the time.
0: And it's yes? the all-access pass, yes. The all-access pass, which means like no lines, right? not only do you get in, but once you're in… You don't have to wait in the hour-long line to get on the roller coaster. You get right to the top of the line. The experience
1: is super VIP. Sure. It's super fucking special. One day, uh, her sister is going to go with the family. Uh, and so she says, can I have one for my sister, please? And they give one for her sister, but then it doesn't work when they actually get to the doors of well, She has of to haggle Disney. for that one to begin with. Okay, sure. Um, and so then she, like her sister's at the gates of Disney with this past that has been, yes, that had to be a little bit of pulling teeth for, and then gets to the doors of Disney. It doesn't work. She calls Shonda. Shonda calls her contact at ABC, who says in a famous quote that that person regrets to this day, don't you have enough? Don't you have enough? Mm-hmm. Like she's calling to say, hey, this past doesn't work. Can you press the magic button to reset it or whatever? Correct. Because I'm and- here working. The reason I'm not there.
0: Yeah. Because my sister's doing me a solid, taking my
1: kids to the park. I am working. Sure. For you is implied in yes. that sentence. For you, ABC. But uh, so she says that was the straw that broke the camel's back and that ultimately led her to go and talk to Netflix. Um, But there was a fair amount of a uh, backlash is too strong a word. Right. But there are a fair amount of people online. And we got some mail from people saying, like, I'm a big fan, but like, yeah. Even if there wasn't backlash,
0: even from outlets and people who weren't criticizing her and who were fist pumping her and being like, you go girl. It was you go girl and be as petty as you want. But even that I have an issue with because to me, it wasn't petty.
1: No, I don't think it's petty. Um, And here's what it is. The thing about it is that when you get into, we often talk about when you're negotiating and this and that, or, you know, we don't say this, but this is like, uh, I feel like business magazine language is to say, um, you know, make sure that you get what you're worth, make sure that they show you what you're worth, right? How important you are. And then when you get into a negotiation, you try your best you say all the things, um, particularly if like Shonda, you're doing it through reps and things like that, right? You're, you're loading them up with all the information to say all the things, but they can always come back with, oh, but here's this, here's that, here's the, like all the stuff that makes that not reasonable or fiscal year, blah, blah, blah. Like they can kind of throw architecture back at you. Right. Yeah. The reason that this is to me, um, the straw that broke the camel's back is because this made it clear how valuable she was to ABC or wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. This is what it is. No matter how you slice it, I don't care if that fucking pass is paved in gold. It's it's nothing for them to press a button and give her sister the red carpet all day, all month. It is literally four minutes out of that dude's day. It costs them nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not in effort and not in money. And so that's when it becomes clear what it's worth, right? Yep. And
0: the thing is, is that we've gotten some emails, like in response to my writing on it, saying, you know, Lainey, it's part of the contract. What she was doing was asking for more over and above her contract. Her contract specified two passes. I don't care. No, because... In Hollywood, like, they do things outside of the contract all the fucking time.
1: I don't care. So not only does it cost them nothing, but even if you think you're not going to be able to make it work, let's just say for the sake of fucking argument that for some reason the ABC executive is like, I, I've been told under no circumstances I can do this treating her that way in the moment tells you how they truly feel about you. Instead of saying, yes, of course, we'll work it out. So she gets back on the phone with her sister and says, it'll be handled in five minutes. uh, And then they can bitch about her later, whatever you want to do. They actually disrespected her to her face in that way. Those are the ways that you that you go, okay, it's not about the money. It's not about the whatever. This is actually how they feel about me. And I am willing to bet, look, it's a good story, right? I'm willing to bet any amount of money that that was not the first time she had had some sort of response like that.
0: I agree. I totally agree. The fact that this happened also during negotiations, when clearly what she's saying is they lowballed her that she says that there was an executive determined to lower the amount that she and her agent were asking for. And then this happened during that process. It was about like, you have already asked us for this amount of money to continue your contract after you've created multiple, uh, like multiple hit shows for us. You lady, you're asking for a little too much. This is the straw that broke our back. Uh, This is where we say no to you.
1: You know what I mean? Sure. That's a great theoretical philosophy, assuming that she was going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm cowed. I'm going to, I'm going to whatever. But this is the thing. She costs what she costs. And I want everybody to remember this. If you are doing a job, no matter how small or, or, low profile, if you are doing a job that it takes longer than 10 minutes to describe to somebody else, if you are doing a job that is an amalgamated job of two people because your coworker left and they didn't replace them. If you are doing a job that you know, you're the only person in your office who knows how to operate the software, then you cost what you cost because If you leave, if you say, I want this, and they say no, and you say, fine, fuck you, they're going to have to hire two or three people to replace you, and they're going to feel shitty about it after the fact. That's not always comforting. We all have to eat, but you cost what you cost, and she costs what she costs. Look, and that's certainly, we're
0: talking about a huge corporation
1: here. We're talking about
0: ABC owned by Disney. We're not talking about a small business. You know what I mean? Like, no, you, you know, and we're talking to the people like many of you out there who work for a major firm, who work for a major company, and you know their finances. You are seeing around you that your company is acquiring this or spending money on that. And you are asking for whatever, a 10% raise, a 5% raise, a 15% bonus, whatever. We are talking about those circumstances, understanding that this is show your work. And we hear from many of you, you run small businesses out there. And listen, it is hard for small business right now. It always has been, and especially in the time of COVID. What we're talking about, though, is for a lot of people out there, you are at the behest of the man, the corporation, these people who are run on the stock market, the shareholders who are constantly getting bonuses. This is what the situation is. Our lives, for, for better or worse, are are like we are beholden to those people
1: or those Absolutely. entities. And look, even in a small business, if you know, if you are the manager in all but name and money, if you leave, they have to hire a manager. It's I'm not saying you have to take everybody to the bank, but we still have to just just be aware from, a, from a, a dispassionate eye, try to be aware of your value. The other thing though about this is that when you say these are big huge corporations, there are a lot of people who would say, well so is she a big huge corporation. She could afford uh, one of those extra passes, whatever it's a drop in the bucket, that kind of thing, right? There are a lot of people who who were like over a Disney pass over a whatever, no matter how special. Right. And there are two things here. First of all, it's it's violating the spirit of the thing, because what I'm sure that what the line item in the contract was, was, you know, lifetime all access passes for Shonda and family to go to Disney. Right. Right. So. First of all, you're going to nickel and dime her because uh, like she doesn't have a spouse because like she ha- her family works this way, that her sister is there, whatever. But secondly, it's like it's part of the agreement. I kept trying to think of the perfect simile to kind of compare this to, right? And to me, it's kind of like if you are renting an apartment and you and your landlord agree on a price, right? and you pay whatever you pay for that apartment, $2,000 a month or something. That's an agreement between you. And then separately, you say, hey, uh, listen, um, two of the windows just blew out uh, in the house. You know, Can you let me know when you want to fix them or whatever? And the landlord says, don't you have enough? Don't you have enough windows? Like That's what we're talking about here. The windows are part of your rental agreement. They're all a package. It's not a question of whether asking for a better window or another window is greedy or whether you just broke one last month or whatever it is. Part of the agreement between landlord and renter is they're responsible for the windows. Imagine them saying, don't you have enough? The point is not whether she could afford it or whether you could afford to replace your own windows. The point is that that's the agreement. I don't know if that's the perfect analogy, but it's the closest one that I could come up to to point out to people that this is not about greed. It's about making whole what was what was agreed upon.
0: Yeah. I, you know, and that is, listen, I appreciate your effort to try and look for an analogy. For me, I'm not even bothering with an analogy. To, to me, if I'm looking from a show your work perspective on ABC's behalf, I'm like, you nickel and dimed over a past that was worth Let's call it generously three hundred to five hundred dollars. Sure. So yes, she could have paid three to five hundred dollars for a pass because whatever the company fine print, this and that and the other, they don't make exceptions. But for three to five hundred dollars, how many millions did you lose in original, creative, imaginative content from a woman who is known to be? the fucking baller of the town who gave you Christina Yang, who gave you Olivia Pope, who gave you these characters that you make back millions, if not billions. She she cited it here, $2 billion in revenue. From a show your work business perspective, if you're fucking Disney, you did that over three to $500.
1: Are you crazy? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's about saving face and ego and all the rest of it. And you're exactly right. A $2 billion revenue stream walked out the door at the peak of her powers. Like, it's not like she's slowing down. Yeah. So bye. (laughs) But again, even in this amazing Disney story, uh, even then when she walks away and said that, you know, she hung up and called her lawyer uh, and said, I'm going to Netflix or else you guys are fired. Even then I'm telling you she had night sweats about this. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you that she had panic, not because she didn't think she was worth it, but because you don't always know how other people are going to behave. So again, I say you don't have to be utterly sure that you are the queen of the world before you take a stand over something, if you know in your bones that it's time, I really like what you're go- where
0: you're going there and what you've repeated in that you can know your value and you can still be scared to ask for it.
1: It's not easy, no. And I don't know anybody who who would feel especially at that level, yeah. Um, like you weren't, you know. There are in Hollywood. There's something called uh, step deals, right? Meaning that. Uh, it's understood sometimes you negotiate a contract for three years. If the show goes that long, um, meaning at, you know, in year one, you make X dollars, uh, in year two, you make X plus 20% in year three, you make X plus 30%. And so the understanding is that the contract going on, if you then renegotiate after that, what would be the next thing you would ask for? Well, X plus 40 is the idea, Right. But of course, that's, you know, if if that's what they're going to offer you, well, thank you so much. And so here's X plus 40 this year. It's when you go, actually, actually, no, actually, we've done incredible things here, probably on a shoestring budget to begin with, blah, blah, blah. Of course, it's scary, um, but you're doing it from a place of knowing how much it costs you, too right? Like it's also thinking of yourself and herself and Shondaland as a product. In addition to which, not that it matters, but I, I don't know the financial like structure of, of Shondaland, but I don't think all of that money goes into her pocket. I think some of that goes towards, uh, you know, running Shondaland and making it the idea factory that it is. Well, and look what, you, look what's happening now.
0: Shondaland is producing Bridgerton, which will be our Christmas holiday season binge. No one I know is like, we can't wait, right? We can't wait. And uh, Yeah, you know what? Like, yeah, I'm excited oh, come about on. it. You always have what? to have. Can't you just say yes? Can't you
1: just say yes? Yeah, okay. Yes and. <laughs> yes and. I am more excited for the Anna Delvey show. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, uh, the, the grifter, because this is what Shonda is made for. And probably Bridgerton is the same thing. Anna Delvey, Anna Sorkin, you, we all read the story. She was this uh, alleged heiress who was like, Oh, the money's coming tomorrow, tomorrow, the tomorrow. Scammer. Um, And Shonda is able to make, allegedly unsympathetic, in air quotes, women, three-dimensional, and that's what I'm most excited for in on that front. That's why that one has captured my interest. But yes, of course, Bridgerton, it comes out Christmas Day. It absolutely seems like the kind of thing you can turn on, uh, you know, with your mom and not have to talk for a while on Christmas, assuming we're all in
0: assuming the same if, place on
1: Christmas. Assuming,
0: yeah. Anyhow. Assuming that. Anyway, takeaways from this conversation, it's okay to
1: argue for your value and feel scared about it. A hundred percent. And late breaking takeaway, remember that she was the one who said that. I'm the highest paid showrunner in television. No matter how powerful you are, nobody is going to sing your song like you can.
0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
1: All right, let's talk about Borat. Can I tell you that I'm so unmoored in the world that when the uh, trailers first started coming out, I actually thought this was a joke that there was a new Borat movie. Like, I thought, like, oh, it's quarantined, whatever. Sacha Baron Cohen is bored. He put on the suit and the the hair and made, like, a spoof.
0: I have to, I have to agree with you in the sense of, it, to me, it came out of nowhere. Like, I was like, oh, okay, there's a new Borat movie, and then, like, five minutes later, it's available. There was all this condensed press, and then the whole Rudy Giuliani thing. And then, you know, and to a certain extent, I mean, that's the point, right? Like, he does these things undercover-ish, sort of, and you hear bits and pieces, and then, other headlines take over and you forget and then you're like, "Oh shit, the movie's happening." But I I have to say that like I typically do pay attention to Sasha Baron Cohen headlines and that it
1: escaped me completely really until last week. Well, I don't know. Maybe it did, but to give you the benefit of the doubt, I mean, think of what he does as Borat, right? And I don't fully understand the mechanism by which Rudy Giuliani was interviewed. I haven't watched it yet, and I'm very excited to do so. But you can't have a lot of press without people starting to be suspicious, right? Like, part of what makes it go is the unawareness of those who are about to be played and have no idea, right?
0: And and that's the whole, like, added level of conceit to the movie is that Borat who was already a character it's like Sasha Baron Cohen in certain, like of mild disguise let's let's go there borat yeah. then as borat then goes into disguise as something else so either a cowboy or a whatever right so it's a it's it's layer upon layer of deception if you will that is beginning from already a place of deception
1: I mean, that's mildly magical. and uh, I, I I pour my my drink out to the people who had to actually keep track of that continuity wise on screen and so forth. So there's been a lot of controversy
0: and headlines about the whole Rudy Giuliani bit which happens near the end of the movie. Um, So for those of you who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. For those who haven't seen it, I'm sure you have heard about it. And the gist is that in the story, Borat has a daughter. Um, And Borat's daughter poses as a journalist who invites Rudy Giuliani, a Russian journalist, because we know the Russian Uh uh conspiracy theories... Who And she, as the journalist, interviews Rudy Giuliani in a hotel room. When the interview wraps, the daughter and Rudy Giuliani end up in the bedroom where she is seemingly removing his microphone and pulling his shirt out. And then he reclines on the bed and has his hand down his pants. He says he was just readjusting his clothing Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen, is basically dot, dot, dotting it. You draw your own conclusions. Um, and uh, then Borat bursts in and says to Rudy Giuliani, what are you fucking
1: doing with my 15-year-old daughter? And then they beat it and they run away. I mean, I want to say, right, like I'm agreeing with what you're saying, but I just need to actually process <laughs> for a second. Sure. Um, again, I knew this. Again, like it's already been spoofed on Saturday Night Live, the whole thing. But I just... Can we just sit with that for a second? I don't want to, but okay. Well, because it... We're also in this weird fucking time wherein what could have been just a prank becomes... Like, incredibly, shockingly, like, timely in the worst way possible. Like, this is the worst possible time, if you are somebody who cares about, like, the integrity and sanctity of Rudy Giuliani, Um, for this to come out, right? Like, yes. almost psychic prescient level, timely. So, that is, like, it's, what do you think his brain is? Sasha Baron Cohen, to be able to accomplish this kind of subterfuge that's also wrapped in comedy? Look, I, uh, there are so
0: many, I have so many conflicted emotions about Sasha Baron Cohen, this Borat character. Um, what I used to find funny 15 or more years ago, what we're learning isn't funny isn't cool. Um, and, and that whole conversation. And then on top of that, there is like a show your work discussion about the commitment required. Um, what kind of preparation and planning, because, you know, of course, when they're setting up this scenario, it's unscripted. They actually don't know what's going to happen. The fact that it happened the way it happened and Giuliani's hand ended up down his pants is not something that he could have foretold. What they did was they set and laid out the conditions to make for a potentially awkward, incendiary, scandalous situation, but they don't know, right? Going in, they're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. We conned him into this interview. We scammed our way there. Let's see what happens. But your reactions as a performer, as an artist, it's the ultimate improv, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. In the moment, yes, it's the ultimate improv. And to further extend that, like in some ways, Borat is uh, a version of, you know, uh, the real housewives, right? Or The Bachelor. It's taking the situation that has been constructed and then fucking wrenching it to whatever the, the worst possible con- conclusion. So yes, of course, the improv skills, absolutely. And also the willingness to leave all kinds of shit on the floor which is to say there are undoubtedly many other interviews that didn't get approved or that did get approved, but nothing exciting happened in them. Right. Um, it's also the kind of trusting that we won't know what this film is or has until we have all the footage. And then we see how we're going to tell this story. You can't script that movie front to back. Um, you can't even write, you know, insert embarrassing politician situation here uh, because you don't know. You don't know what your story is going to be until until it's there. And it really is crafted later on in post. So there's an incredible level of trust there as well.
0: Trust. And then like, just for a lot of us, like, I mean, I can't even imagine Sasha's like our Sasha, her reaction, because she is probably the person we know who has the strongest mortification muscle. Like- uh, That's fair. Anything yeah. mortifies her. And so to permanently disable your mortification muscle, like, you know, and we're not talking about for a period of half an hour or when, like however long Borat spends in a store. At one point in the- movie, he moves in with two conspiracy theorists. You know, the people who like buy into Pizzagate and all of that. Like QAnon people. Yes. He moves in with them for like I don't know, something like five or six days. And listen, when I was watching it, I was like, this has to have been scripted. But then I went and fact-checked it. Like I went and looked it up after I watched the movie and I was like, oh no, he's talking about how that was probably the most challenging part of the movie was staying in character for the few days where these QAnon people who are, you know, they believe in the most batshit conspiracy conspiracy theories. And then on the, the other hand, there's, they're kind enough to take in this like, dude in their home and feed him and house him for like five days. It's crazy. It's it's fucking crazy. But he talks about how he had to like stay in character that whole time.
1: Well, this is what is phenomenal to me because it's not just staying in character. Like I'm trying to think if there's anybody who has like a comparable character with whom they are so closely tied. Right. Right. It's not just staying in character in the moment, although that's a huge part of it. And as you say, like a massive acting exercise, right? It's also the willingness to take on the shit that comes with. Like people want to kill Sasha Baron Cohen. And I'm not being funny about that. People want revenge on that actor oh, who is yeah. a person. He's a person with like a family. Um, like, does he have more security than like U.S. politicians? I wonder. Is he like you have to be okay with the ramifications on your life, on your social life? Because while I don't think he gives a shit what most people think of him, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would be like, "I'm not going to hang out with that guy because who knows what might be going on?" Bullet. Who knows? What- well, a stray bullet, but what kind of a setup? What kind of a, like, thing am I saying that, you know, like, it would be, he's committed ultimately 24-7 in a way, right? No, I mean,
0: it's both psychological security or insecurity and physical insecurity. What you're talking about is a certain psychological insecurity, right? If you're around this guy, are you in character? Am I being filmed? All of that shit. But legitimately, he goes to one of these, like, rallies in the movie and people there are packing and I'm not just like, not just a little, little pistol, but they have the kind of guns that require a belt to me. Right. Anytime a gun requires a shoulder strap, that is some fucked up shit. Like, I don't know why you need one while you're sitting on a lawn chair, watching people perform on a stage.
1: Anyway, I don't know. But, but even not, Second not Amendment, as or at though, yeah, no, I mean, look, he, he knows what he's getting into in those situations. But even months later, I can think of somebody who would be like, you've ruined my life. This, you know, this exposure fucked me over in some way. And coming for that actual man, it's it's, you know, it's a real commitment to what is, I don't know. Do you think the movie is important? Like watching it now and for what it is, and you pointed out the the conflicts between things that we didn't look at 15 years ago that now mm-hmm. maybe don't feel right it, it ultimately and it, look I'm going to watch it and frankly I'm going to enjoy it because it's we know sort of you know the that sort of uh cheeky bald comedy is is probably what a lot of us would like to do in a lot of those situations but is it is it significant enough to warrant what it must cost to be that person? Oh, I mean,
0: that's a good question. I think that it has value. You can argue its value, but not on the basis of what the fixation has been and the coverage has been, you know, Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. obviously is a lot of the Rudy Giuliani thing. Here's where, here are the two areas where I think you could have a meaningful discussion. Okay, let me let me just get the problematic shit addressed because yes. the way that he portrays people from Kazakhstan is very hurtful to people from Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it's horrifying. And I have heard through people, you know, on the social, Kayla Gray talked about friends who she has from Kazakhstan who remember the first movie and how insulted and and traumatized they were that their country was being portrayed in this way that was so backwards that someone ref- would refer to their sister as like whatever number f- 4 prostitute in the country that it was it was just it was given this treatment right and when you're when your whole point is is intolerance then his xenophobia or his treatment of people from Kazakhstan and his portrayal of them are, like, how do you reconcile that? Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I could answer with this is how I know what the rationale probably is. Um, You know, it's a character, it's not him. And he's talking the way that people talk, not the way that Sasha Baron Cohen believes, blah, blah, blah. Borat is meant right. to be an uninformed whatever. And the
0: counter to that would be, is that punching up or punching down?
1: Absolutely. Especially since there's no counter narrative coming mm-hmm. out of Kazakhstan to uh, to point out how this is just a joke, to point out how it's parody. Absolutely. That's right. So there's that, which I
0: think undermines certain things and themes that, that do have value. Because while... The Rudy Giuliani thing is getting all the attention for its political association and and whether or not it discredits Trump as a whole. What people seem to be missing is that that moment directly connects back to another moment that happens earlier in the film where Borat and his daughter end up crashing a debutante ball. Right. And there are young women being paraded around this debutante ball. They're all in the prime of their whatever. Right. It's a marketability. Is that where you're going there? Correct. And they're all being assisted or not assisted, but accompanied by their fathers. So these older white gentlemen. And Borat then has a conversation with these older white gentlemen who are all of the Rudy Giuliani-ish age, maybe like five or six years younger, who are gross, who speak about women um, in, in terms of dollar value. In terms of what they can, what what they would what they would spend on them, what they would spend on a night with this woman. And we're talking now about Epstein, right? We're talking about the exploitation of women. We're talking about women as property. We're talking about women and their marketability, as you just said, in these debutante balls. And That is something worth discussing. You and I certainly care about that, that we are in 2020 and these things are still happening to girls and that these men who are very wealthy, very influential, at least in their local local communities, this is a debutante ball somewhere in fucking, I don't know, Texas, have control over women in this way. I wish that that could be a a takeaway from his film, that kind of sinister, I mean, all misogyny is sinister, but really overtly sinister misogyny.
1: Well, and this is sort of the argument, right? Like this is the big conversation is, does the end justify the means, I guess, right? Because here's the thing, everybody has their own favorite little subcultures, right? That That they follow or pay attention to if you are obsessed with whatever, TikTokers or this DJ or whatnot. I am obsessed with with cults and uh, the weirdness of fundamental Christianity and so forth. But the thing is, all that fucking weirdness, all that debutante ball weirdness that you're talking about doesn't see the mainstream light of day, generally speaking, right? And it allows for people to think, oh, that's just fringe people. That's just over here. That's just whatever. Uh, I think that's why uh, Trump rallies on TV are so shocking, right? Because you think, oh, that's just those people wherever. And then you see how many of just there are. Yeah. So the argument might be that without the Borat film, the only way those kinds of things are exposed in the way that you're talking about is in a very earnest and well-meaning, but not well-viewed like PBS documentary or similar, right? It's that thing that says, this is what somebody has to do by any means necessary, uh, in order to get you know, get this kind of shit out into the mainstream conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about it, but that is absolutely the conversation that is taking place whenever, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen or his company are talking about what side of what ethical line are we on this time or that time. And I guess number two,
0: the takeaway that, <laughs> yeah. remember I said I had two things that, You know, where work is concerned, and we're talking about the work of performance, which we were covering earlier about the commitment, right? The risk that you have to take. So there's one kind of risk where you go into whatever rally and people with like belts on top of guns or strapped to guns are like doing their thing or moving in with QAnon people and the risk to your personal and psychological safety in that sense to people who What you would consider your, quote, natural enemy.
1: And knowing, I should say, that you're going in to piss them off, right? That's right. It's not worth it unless you cause a fucking problem. That's right.
0: And then there's the risk to people who are not who you would consider your natural enemy. People who are quite legitimately, by all accounts, like non-controversial and totally innocent. Sasha Baron Cohen is Jewish, mm-hmm. and as Borat, he spews some filthy fucking things about Jewish people. Mm-hmm. W- which, again, for people from Kazakhstan, is so unfair because you know who says that? Like, who says that people from Kazakhstan want to be represented as like anti-Semitic? But okay. Right. But then
1: I, I, I hate to, I hate to do this, but then I have to go and say he's, he's not saying he is all, he's not representing all people of Kazakhstan, right? Like that's why it's one idiot dude. Anyhow, I just had to be that asshole being like, it's character. I'm back to being an actual informed human in 2020 now. Go ahead. Okay. So,
0: and that's what he would argue, like the art of it, right? But, but, the real Sasha Baron Cohen is Jewish. Yes. And as Borat, he ends up in a synagogue. And he goes to a synagogue and he speaks to a lovely, the most adorable, sweet, loving woman who is a Holocaust survivor. And mm-hmm. he says to her face in a holy place, The racist, anti-Semitic, shitty things that a person who is uninformed, who is disgusting, who is all those things says. He says it to her face and in her presence. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil that part for you, you know, but when we're talking about level of commitment and security, I don't know what that does to you for the sake of your movie to in character do that
1: to somebody who's already been through th- everything? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know either. I, I guess the, the, I don't know what I, I have no idea. What I do know is that he's not ignorant of it. Right. Again, we're talking about Sasha Baron Cohen here. He's not ignorant of what that effect would be. So I don't know what that looks like. Does he, you know, does he get somebody to cast somebody who, uh, you know, whose children or grandchildren say, oh, such and such a person, once they know it's a joke, will be fine. Or uh, so-and-so would love to rip into somebody. Or I honestly, I have no idea. And I'm also speaking from not having sat through that scene just yet but i have to believe and you all can yell at me if i'm if i'm wrong here i have to believe that there's a uh, some sort of thought beyond can i just be abjectly cruel because there are a lot of other people and places to be abjectly cruel with fewer consequences does that make sense
0: yes and i think that that's generous um you know, I will say, maybe, it, yeah. I will say because we're going to get people, um, well, actuallying us. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen and the production team apparently say that at some point they did inform this woman, her name is Judith Dim Evans, who mm-hmm. s- has subsequently passed away, that at some point, we don't know exactly when, they informed her, which is not his usual style. He usually doesn't tell anybody any fucking thing and just lets them discover themselves on the movie. But he did, you know, fill her in at some point. We don't know when. Her estate, however, because she's no longer with us, is suing because they object to that section in the film. They filed a lawsuit um, demanding that the interview be cut from the film Um, And according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, they said that Judith Dim Evans was approached to talk about the Holocaust and had believed she was taking part in a serious documentary. So the estate is suing Amazon Prime, the distributor of the film, and so on and so forth. So what I'm saying, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes of our podcast and what we talk about, like, we're talking about his work, his getting into character, what, requ- yes, what you, yes. what, what you require to be able to do something like this and, and what you, what you sacrifice, I guess.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. Like we're talking about, um, yeah, what you sacrifice to be, uh, uh, to portray a horrible human, however you justify it. Right. Um, in, in whatever form there are, we've certainly heard of people who are doing much less deeply offensive things saying I needed to like, it was hard to get away from that person and all those actions after I'd worked, uh, all day being somebody horrible. Um, and I think when you're saying, you know, what it, what you said, uh, what it costs, I don't think you said what it costs his humanity, but that's the implication, right? That's a debate for sure. And also where the work is concerned, I think there's a a conversation to be had about what does he expect of his audience? Does he expect that all of these people are going to then go and research and thus find out, you know, sort of the, the, uh, like. Yeah, the story behind that story with, uh, pardon me, Judith Dim, what was her surname? Evans, Judith Dim. Right. Or what is his, uh, yeah, I would be very curious to know. And I don't think we will. This is part of the point of the Borat persona, right? He doesn't really show his hand. Um, what is his expectation for the way people will process this, et cetera?
0: Well, listen, we don't know him, um, and this is not my rationale or my justification, but as you did earlier, like you provided what an artist's rationale for a certain thing might be, I'm providing that now, what an artist like him, what his rationale might be, and that moment in the film, Judith Dim Evans comes out of it as an angel. Someone who has suffered so much, who, Mm -hmm. again, is a Holocaust survivor, still has the love in her heart um, to do what she did. I can't, I don't want to spoil it too much, right? And, you know, if there is any takeaway, what his his artist's explanation can be is that, like, my hideous character contrasted with her character— um, that, that is the takeaway, the kindness and the the warmth in this person. And yet there are still significant numbers of people out there who would deny that what happened to her happened to her and mm-hmm. millions mm-hmm. of other people. That is what he's trying to highlight. That is what he's trying to to spotlight is the resilience of the Jewish people and what they had to overcome after what they endured and where they are now. So I would imagine that that is part or that would be part of his rationale. But in order to get there, you still as an artist have to basically make yourself a hideous person, like in the moment hurting someone for a greater goal if that is isn't is his intended greater goal if i you know this is all speculation
1: yeah it's really interesting because um it, it, we're we're being asked to speculate on his greater goal right like the whole point of these films is to wonder after what was that about and did so and so know about this or that and yeah, this is the the double-edged sword. It's fun when it's Rudy Giuliani. It is uncomfortable and heartbreaking when we have to consider uh Judith. It also makes me think of, and not to put these uh, these two projects in the same breath, but it makes me think about the controversy around Lulu Wong and the farewell, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, because of course, uh, what was, what was Nene's real name? Um, like the actor or like her Uh, actual grandmother, her actual grandmother, the, uh, the controversy for people who might not remember, of course, the plot of the movie is that, uh, everybody goes home because Nene is dying, uh, and stages a, a wedding. As an excuse because she doesn't know but in the process of the movie being made and then being an oscar contender and so forth the real nene discovered this about herself that she was the topic and the focus of a film um i'm not suggesting in any way that it could have caused as much pain and hurt as uh the estate of judas dim evans uh says that it caused her. But then again, what do we know? Um Maybe it did. Maybe there are people who would say it did. We would say, I think, like based on Lulu Wong's portrayal and, and conversations that the end does justify the means, right? Yeah. But this is the debate. Do we trust our filmmakers? And if so, you know, do we, how do we take what they give us face value or at the assumed, uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt, I guess.
0: Listen, these are all things I'm wrestling with after I, I watched the movie a few days ago. I have complicated feelings about this character, this kind of art. I don't have an answer, but we want to hear from you. What do you think? You know, what are you trying to unpack? What are you having a hard time with? Did you watch it? Are you avoiding him completely? Um, do you object to his portrayal of people from Kazakhstan and consider that the ultimate undermining of whatever greater good that Sasha Baron Cohen is doing and you would rather pay attention to other artists? That too. Give us
1: your views on that. And in particular, if that last one speaks to you, if you say there are other people doing this better, less offensively, less controversially, tell us who. We would love to know. Um, who else we can look into and spotlight who are doing similar kinds of work.
0: And that's it for us this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for disagreeing with us. Uh, Subscribe to us
1: wherever you get your podcasts and leave comments and reviews. And we have a whole bunch of your letters coming up in a little while. You guys have been sending great stuff. uh, So cannot wait to get into all of that.
0: Until then, stay safe, show your work. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.